Welcome to the Didi and Latal Show. Advice, thoughts, and stories from a married couple on cybersecurity, technology, and life in general. Now here are your hosts, Didi and Latal. Hello and welcome to the Didi and Latal Show. End of summer is here, fortunately. Hi Didi, how's it going? Things are awesome. Things are awesome. What's so awesome this time? What's so awesome this time? I think uh, this is for the next episode when we talk about back to school and, and coming back from Portugal. But vacation was great. Vacation was uh, great. We, we are seeing the final mile of this Cisco acquisition. And uh, I think by the time this episode will come out, probably it will be done. So finally, we're getting to the final few meters of the run so i feel a lot of relief i love the weather outside right now it's perfect yes still not fall it's so nice the humidity is gone and it's like this week is the perfect week and we have a guest today alex thanks for joining us so let's have a quick introduction why don't you go and introduce yourself Yeah, thanks, Lital, for having me on. I appreciate it. So Alex Bovey, I'm the CEO and co-founder of a company called Conductor One, which is a modern identity security company focused on really solving identity lifecycle management, permission management, particularly for companies in the cloud. And uh, based in the Pacific Northwest up in Portland, Oregon, uh, but our company is kind of between San Francisco, Portland, and then we've got a bunch of, uh, bunch of remote folks. Yep. How big yep. is the company right now? Ooh, we're probably, I should know this right offhand. I don't, <laughs> but I know that we're hovering, I think, around mid-40s. I think we're right. about 45. Okay. I kind of I stopped counting after about like 15. <laughs> well, you need to celebrate the 50 soon. Um, yeah, that's actually a good point. Yeah. yeah, that is a good milestone. Yeah, just keep watching that payroll burn increase. <laughs> <laughs> We've talked a lot about that. <laughs> in the past, people were not aware of it, but nowadays it's top of mind for everyone. Oh, for sure. In tech, yeah. for sure. Well, what brought you to identity? Tell us a little bit of your background. Yeah, so I started out, so I've been in, in cybersecurity for a minute, and I guess really cut my teeth in cybersecurity at this company called Lookout Mobile Security. And the story behind Lookout was kind of fun. They started as a consumer company. security company really around like find my phone technology and AD for Android because Android was really really the Wild West back back in the day if you think about early 2010s it's still the Wild West I didn't know I haven't been on Android in a long time I confess I don't know if it got cleaned up or not but it was it, it was really <laughs> no it's not the Wild West it used to be but yeah we're both we're both pixel users and uh, okay. you need to hit that that factory reset to get everything back up and running yeah Yeah, yeah. So you're sideloading all the apps and all that kind of good stuff. Yep, yep. <laughs> so Android was a wild west and, and Lookout really started by helping on that, that kind of consumer journey of securing mobile devices. And, but interestingly, I ended up focusing on helping them build and ship an enterprise product. So we, we would, as we were building that consumer product, we realized like, well, you know what? Enterprises are really concerned about mobile security as well. And there, there's a very high willingness to pay. And so we ended up building a enterprise mobile security product and I led that effort. And that was when I first realized identity was the center of gravity. That was probably about 2013, 2014. 
we were building all this great tech to detect sideloaded applications and jailbroken devices. And if you installed something malicious, those kind of use cases, but then you can never really answer the question, but who's the user on the phone? Like, and what is the context there? And so I I just had this light bulb moment when I was building that product, realizing identity is a hundred percent, the center of the world. It's where it's all going, particularly in this cloud forward, SaaS forward world. And that's when I decided to jump ship and join Okta early days to lead up security at Okta because security identity made a lot of sense. Yep. <laughs> yep. By the way, this is where I'm going to poke Okta a little bit. And I think I told Stephen Lee and some of the other guys, it makes no sense for you guys to have a security product line. You are a security product. And this is a, this has been always my, my question with Okta. How come they have a security roadmap? Isn't that supposed to be called the roadmap? So uh, we are, we're scratch, we're scratching deep here. I don't know if you did this on purpose, but when <laughs> I, when I, when I started at Okta, the, the funny thing is Okta really viewed itself. It, well, part of the reason I was hired at Okta was to help kind of quote unquote, transform it into a security company because we, yep. we knew there was something security there, but at the time it was very focused on SSO and it was selling to just the CIO and then selling to just kind of your director of IT or IAM who was, who was really focused on productivity, like being able to get a box adopted in the cloud or streamline your Salesforce rollout or something like that. So that was the original. And what we ended up finding out was companies really had an appetite for like security was an important concern as it related to identity. So we, that was my charter when I joined the company and tons of, tons of great stories there. If you want to go into it. You came into Okta to basically build the, the security and there were dilemmas in terms of the, how should it perceive itself? And if yeah. you have any funny anecdotes in that space, that'll be great because I think that's how Sammy introduced us on the street. <laughs> and that's right. Octane. So Sammy and I are both veterans of identity from the RSA days. And he said that you're, you're the security guy, you're the ex-security guy in Okta. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny because I mean, so many good stories, I guess. I'm trying to think of what's, what's interesting to tell here, but I think there's, for me, lessons about just culturally, when you see a company like shift a little bit, even its own mentality from, Hey, we started out doing this thing. This is really working. This is working well to we really need to transform into this other thing. That's just hard. There's a lot of hard changes associated with that. I saw it when I was at Lookout. I mean, you don't know, talk about the hardest change, switching from being a consumer company to an enterprise company, like night and day yeah. <laughs> in, terms of, in terms of how you ship product, how you support customers, just the orientation of the team. It's very, very different. And then I think it was, it was interesting and enlightening, like I said, at Okta to just see that switch between kind of selling mostly to IT and being mostly concerned about that to recognizing that, hey, there's this broader challenge around identity, which is security, and we need to go tackle that. That being said, I mean, I think there's still a lot of opportunity, um, some of which I would argue Okta is not capitalizing on, hence kind of what and we're focused on. companies like yours, right? That's right. <laughs> Which is yeah. to really to really come at identity from like a a, a security first principle standpoint, yep. not in terms of like a do you want fries with it type offering, which I think yep. sometimes is a little bit of the the focus right now. 
Yep. Yeah. What made you kind of get like this clear vision that you said to yourself? I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing the question you asked me basically last night on, on your pad, podcast of what gave you that clairvoyant to say, I'm going to jump ship and build a, a dedicated security product that's going to run side by side to Okta and Google and the other products. Yeah, so I, I'm I'm a product manager. I, I like to think of myself as like a, a product manager's product manager. Like I really enjoy the art of product management. And I think one thing you learn as a product manager is this like this spidey sense, this whiffs of problems in the air, where you yep. you'll hear customers say thing and 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 it like it's like that's not you asking for incremental features on my existing roadmap. That's you complaining about this like structural problem with the way that we're solving this problem or like this this issue that you have that you don't feel like is really being addressed successfully and the funny thing about those is they come in different flavors and and sort of like smells if you will and so i was i was getting a bunch of those when i was at okta leading security products talking to customers where they would talk about the challenges around getting visibility into who has access or I'm concerned I haven't properly offboarded my employees or I don't know who has access to what or one early sort of fun one was my co-founder and I met when when I was at Okta we acquired his company called ScaleFT which ended up becoming Okta's advanced server access product it's kind of a zero trust like Linux server access product and we would we would talk to customers about their product about that product and They would say, yeah, yeah, this is all cool, but we don't really, we don't really log into servers. We use AWS and we, we have ephemeral infrastructure and we blow it away and we're really managing access entire through the, entirely through the AWS IAM control plane. And I was like, huh, well, that's really interesting. There's this new pattern where kind of the application boundary, the IaaS boundary really is the enforcement point for permissions and privileges around what you can do inside of that. And it's less about this credential, like this SSH key. It's really, that's not as important because you're SSOing into the IaaS provider. It's really about the permissions once you get inside of it. And so it was moments like that. I know it's like a really technical example, but there's just moments like that where I realized there's something here and then kind of zoomed out a little bit as I was thinking about leaving Okta and just felt like we're doing these companies are, are that we're selling to, they're doing all the right things. They're adopting SSO, they're adopting MFA, they're getting their SOC too. They have good security practices, but they're still, they're still being breached. They're still having identity breaches and clearly something's not right. <laughs> like this is only going to get worse. And so there was a little bit of that, like in the trenches, the, the, the whiffs of the pain points. And then you just kind of zoom out and you realize like, this is just very broken. Like this is not okay. And so for me, that was the, that combined with having a, a great co-founder and, and Paul Karna, who is excited to start a company with me to solve this problem to me, it was just the convergence of like a big pain point, clear articulation of like a, a different way that we want to solve these problems. And what I felt like was a strong founding team. That's cool. Being, being 50% of it. <laughs> that, 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 no, that, that, that's really important. One of the things that we talked about a lot in the... <laughs> in our podcast is when you want to jump ship and go to a, po- a, a startup, who are the founders and what do they do? What's uh, the background, what they care about, how big is the problem, uh, how urgent the problem <laughs> they're solving. And I think that's, 
you articulating it that well, that, you know, all those companies are investing so much and believe that they're doing the right thing and they are doing the best practices available there and still being breached. Like that's a big, big problem. Not to say that nowadays we all know they need to report a breach within four days after being breached. <laughs> there is now regulation attached to it. Like everybody, that's on the spot, right? And not having this visibility <coughs> is, is everything okay? Yeah, yeah, just being old. <laughs> that, 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 that's the, the being old part. Yeah, and coming back from a trip and being sick. Yeah, yeah. It's, all it's, all that, it's all that. It's all that vacation and all that sun. Yeah, uh, you cannot go back from vacation. But going back to our topic, I, I think this is so important to kind of like have this aha moment about this big unsolved problem that is becoming even bigger. And you're right, identity is at everything. It's the the basic for yep. everything. Um, we've seen it over and over again. I talked about it. How crowded is this market these days? Because I'm married to somebody that is in the business. So I'm a little bit curious to get your sense of like the players, who is in this zoo and how you differentiate yourself in the market like that. I'm always curious in relatively early stage startups of like how you come in, how you differentiate, how you help the customer understand your own value versus everything else that speaks identity out there. Yeah. So to, t- to touch on the market piece first, it is, it's getting hot. I mean, it's interesting because I think we started this company about two and a half, almost three years ago recognizing that this is we just this is where we saw the puck going we saw this problem evolving we knew this was coming up it feels like every month there's kind of a new company starting in the space trying to do something i think that's always a challenge for startups i think is just cutting above the noise and having an interesting perspective and yeah i mean mean, you're in marketing it's all this like it's just it's a challenge. Yeah, it's a challenge. And it's just getting a, getting a little bit above that that noise and, and the fray to have a unique and interesting perspective. I think how, and so dovetailing to that, I think how we think about it is a, a couple pieces. One is, is really just about culturally how we think about our company and our customers. We are like extremely customer success focused. I literally, I, I'm not making this up. I sent it to you afterwards to prove it. I woke up this morning and checked my Slack and had a message from one of our customers, basically singing the praises of the team and talking about how great it's been working with the team. And, they go, and to wake up and get that message feels really, really, really good in part because that's also like we live those values. We live that internally around customer success and doing everything you can to make a customer happy and really like embracing them. And I think that that's sometimes an underappreciated part of doing business, I think is a as like a software company, sometimes you can think about the next customer, the next customer and building the next feature and hiring the sales team and all these things and just kind of lose sight of like, we're, we're in business to like solve problems for customers and to make them really happy. And I, I really feel like you, you build a business one customer at a time and you got to make those customers happy one customer at a time, like every single one matters. And so we, that's one piece of it. So we just really focus on customer success. And I think that shows in how we sell, we do it transparently. We're, we're responsive. We hold the hand of our customers during the POC process, during the rollout process. The second part is obviously product. 
Yep. <laughs> so we like but make the customer happy, right? If yeah, yeah, the product's got to be good too. Yeah. <laughs> so there's the the product piece of it that we're really focused on, and I think that's about for us. We end up doing wall to wall deployments with most customers. It's it's a pro. It's really challenging actually because you have deep integrations that have to just work with user experiences that can end up touching potentially every single person in the company. You want to talk about solving a hard problem. You're, you're touching contractors, employees, non-technical people, technical people. That's just a really, really, really hard problem. And so the way your product just has to have a great UX and a beautiful experience. And that's something that we invested in very early on to make sure we were hitting that. And then the third piece is the technology itself. So we have, I think at this point, 75 plus integrations, and we're probably going to get to 100 here in a month or two. We've really built out this ecosystem of uh, being able to integrate with any technology, uh, whether that's Active Directory on-prem or Okta in the cloud or an HR system or a database or AWS. It kind of really doesn't matter to, to really just integrate with all the technology in your environment, because at the end of the day, identity security is a very cross-cutting horizontal concern. And so... We've pushed hard on that and we've done some some really some really cool technical things around that. We've open sourced our integration ecosystem with a project called Baton that we're really trying to create that like identity security standard, if you will, that allows you to inspect and catalog all the identities and permissions within it within an application and then orchestrate access changes back to it. But there's some some real goodness there as well. So I'd say those are the, the three focus areas for us. The Didi and Latal Show will return in a moment. The Didi and Latal Show is sponsored by Ort. In today's world, identities are the perimeter protecting the organization and are the most exploited vector by attackers. If your security teams are struggling to maintain control of identity management tools, Ort can help. Ort offers a centralized platform for discovering, monitoring, assessing, and remediating identity threats to your business. While most security platforms can take weeks or months to start identifying and remediating risks, with ORT, your security teams can get started in as little as 30 minutes and start securing the identity perimeter immediately. ORT will surface the most critical vulnerabilities and give your security teams the recommended action steps. Start your trial today at ORT.io. That's O-O-R-T dot I-O. I remember the access product from Okta because it's called ASA, which is the thing that uh, us Cisco people (laughs) have lived and breathed for a million, million years, the access, the ASAs. Where do you think, how do you guys think you're changing ASA, the, the the access control in terms of the privilege access? And do you think privilege access will stay around? And the other thing is you touched in a little bit of dealing with the permissions, and that's, I'm guessing, a little bit in the IGA space. Can you, if you need to give somebody like a five-minute explanation or a two-minute explanation or an elevator ride explanation of what is IGA and why it's there and why it's important, those things I think will be super valuable. Yeah, let, well, let me touch on the, the, the privilege access one first. I think that's a really interesting uh, point. So our view, actually zooming out, our view is that they're, they're really in the cloud, particularly for cloud forward companies, there conceptually is no difference between privilege access management and normal access management. And Why is that? Because when you think about what is a, what is a privileged access concern, it's 
a user has the ability to perform some sort of privilege action within a system, right? Right. The, but when you think about that in the cloud, what's the difference conceptually between an Octa super admin who literally has God mode? If you've got your if you've got your AWS hooked up to your Octa with SSO groups and users, they can provision access to anybody to any of your infrastructure immediately by clicking a couple of group yep. ads. What's the difference between that and a user that has a privileged credential in AWS that can do something privileged? It's really nothing. Like the the attack chain is conceptually exactly the same, right? It's like yep. I have this identity. I can escalate privileges. I can laterally move into those environments through SSO. So we just view we we view that as like a different model. It's just that in the cloud, instead of everything being credential centric. Credential is sort of the front door. It's where you authenticate the user, but it's really then about what permissions and access do you have at that point? What are you allowed to perform? And so old world privilege access management is like, I have a dash a account for my admin accounts. Yep. (laughs) And then I'm, and then I'm going to like check into my privilege access management solution and check out that identity. But when you really, when you check out that identity, what what it really means is I'm checking out the credential that lets me log in as that identity and then I'm going to log in on that uh, as that identity and I'm going to go be able to perform some privilege actions. And then hopefully at some point I'm going to tell the system that I'm done with it. And then hopefully if the integration isn't broken, it's going to go rotate that credential and put a new one in there and like rinse and repeat. In the cloud, that makes no sense. Like you you log into your, your you are, I am Alex in every system. I log in as Alex into some IDP, presumably. I then SSO into whatever application is that I'm I'm trying to log into. And the privilege actions that I perform are just authorized by the permissions and roles that I have in the system. So it's really a question of for Alex, how do I escalate permissions and privileges for him? Not for Alex, can I check out a password <laughs> and then like rotate that password later? So we do, we think the model for privilege access is just, it doesn't translate into the cloud, like the old sort of patterns, everything centered around that credential really doesn't make sense. It's really about canonical identity, like a single identity in multiple systems, and then being able to escalate permissions and access for those systems. And that's where things like, like least privilege access becomes way more important because then you want to make sure that people aren't over permissioned or have too much standing privileges or access at any given time. Cool. And in terms of the IGA part, where do you think that, how does that play into the PAM? Because I, I, I kind of see the vision, but maybe did he start by defining IGA for those of you, uh, let, th- those of us, I let Alex do that because he's area. more articulate than I am. Sure. I don't know about all that, but I'll try. So I, <laughs> IGA is Identity Governance and Administration. And the, the way that I think about IGA is really, it's a collection of use cases. The idea is I need to understand at any particular point the inventory of identities within my environment or environments. And then I need to be able to govern those identities. And typically governing means I need to manage the lifecycle, the provisioning, the deprovisioning. I need to manage role-based access controls. So being able to grant privileges Typically, they include self-service capabilities, like I want users to be able to go in and request apps or permissions or roles, and then also achieve compliance objectives. So things like user access reviews, which is a security tool, but also typically mandated for compliance purposes to make sure that you're reviewing periodically accounts and permissions and people have the appropriate roles and access levels. 
and then the audit around that. So IG is a very broad space from that perspective. What's interesting and kind of the, the, the view around convergence of spaces is when you think about that laundry list of things I just mentioned in the IGA space, cloud for privilege access management kind of looks a little bit like self-service, just-in-time escalation, removing things that aren't needed. <laughs> it, it snaps into multiple of those kind of use-case-driven automation workflows and categories. So that's that's our view on, well, these are these are just the same thing. These are these are not different things kind of in this cloud-forward world. They're all the, effectively the same thing. And you just have to be really good at that automation and that workflow part of it. Yeah, that, that was a little bit of the leading question of where I was hoping you were going to go with. Anyways, I would love to hear a little bit. You were talking about customers and, and solving customer problems. Can you describe a little bit without exposing anything you feel uncomfortable exposing? A, a, a nice customer-oriented story that you guys solved the problem that made like people wake up in the morning and say, aha, yeah, th- 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 we really needed this. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times right now, what it boils down to is integrations. Like early days starting the company, obviously you start with zero integrations. And so we're just, we were very just roadmap driven around getting those cranked or not roadmap driven, but customer driven. So customer needs XYZ to go live. We're going to go focus on those things. I think we had, I'm trying to think of a specific story. We had a very large company, a public company, just go live with our product in a in deploying our connectors in a hybrid way. So one of the really nice things about our technology is we have the SaaS control plane of which you can deploy all the integrations kind of agentlessly. But if you don't trust us with the credentials or you want to host an audit, kind of the connector activity, you can actually host those connectors separately. So you can host those in your own infrastructure. So in this particular case, they wanted to use conductor one for provisioning, deprovisioning. So they hosted the optic connector in their own infrastructure. And there they had there's a lot of kind of like figuring out how to make that connect up and work in their particular infrastructure. And it's just one of these things where we had one of our best engineers working on it, being super responsive, getting them what they need, unblocking issues, and they went live and were super happy about it. Um, unfortunately, I can't I can't share their name yet, although I think uh, we're going to do a case study soon. But it's just I think it's about that orientation of just being responsive when there's a bug and an issue, fixing it. Here's here's maybe a here's maybe a slightly better story. <laughs> that's a little bit more a uh, little bit more tangible we we believe so much in customer success that we have a team called the cfe team the customer focused engineering team where we have two engineers on it at all times people rotate in and off on it and the whole purpose of that team is to fix bugs and address small features and issues that come in from customers like as quickly as possible so to really create that that awesome experience when someone says, hey, I really wish that your report had this column. We've just got a couple of folks right there who can you know, crank on something really quickly and in a day turn it around and get something back to a customer. And people love that. They love that responsiveness. Yep. Totally. I, I, I want to say something in general to everyone when startups that think about how you differentiate yourself. That's the things that a big company cannot do, right? They cannot go, even the CSM that you have at Okta, like as much as he loves you and he can give you great service, what are the chances of you being a customer and getting a request of a feature actually get into the Okta roadmap and what's the time 
as a as a product manager at Okta who ran <laughs> security products, <laughs> I can tell you that it was hard. I don't mean this in a negative way. It's hard, it was hard to get my time unless you were a hundred K plus account. Exactly. Just, just period. Like right. just really hard. And nearly impossible to shake and shimmy the roadmap, even if you needed something. Unless you are a seven to eight figure deal, no chance, of course. Yeah. Um, as, as somebody that got a feature out of Okta in two weeks, it really helps when you're Cisco. Really, really helps when you're for Cisco. For sure. For <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, if you're a logo. So we, we talked a lot about customers buying from the big guys versus startups and where they can kind of like do hybrid, go hybrid, best of breed. Um, I think this is a great thing that we don't enough capitalize on being a startup. When you work with a startup, yes, we're there to please. That's part of the deal. We're smaller, we're nimbler, we are more uh, customer focused and centric. And at the end of the day, we are kind of the expert that can augment your team with expertise that they don't have. If uh, I work with a company that provides services to SOC, so we understand detections and we can consult on some of those things, which even are not core of what the product provides. I'm sure your team can provide a lot of how to best configure your Okta, even though it may not be, I mean, some of it might be in your product, but some of it may be just pure advice that you can give to your customer from your knowledge being hands-on that the customer team doesn't have this inside-out knowledge. So I think it's important for us in startups kind of building on these capabilities and for our customers to realize, yes, on one hand, you cannot drain our resources by just asking and asking and asking because that's also risky for a startup, just losing focus and going after any request. But yeah, we're there to please at the end of the day, and we want our customers to be happy. So, and, so and Frank, and well, to, to add on to that, as a startup, it is your responsibility to demonstrate that to prospects and customers as often as possible to make that clear. Because I think the part of the challenge is talk is cheap. Like a lot of startups will say that some of the yep. best deal, some of the best deals we won have been because in the POC process, a customer needed something. And our CFD team turned it around like a day. And, yep. and someone okay. says that and they say, this is the kind of partnership we want. We want people that are going to help us build towards the thing and like solve our actual problems. <laughs> so yep. if you put, if you put your money where your mouth is, that's the, that's the best way to show it. Absolutely. I would say for GTM teams, for SEs, for, for everyone building POCs, demos and everything, bake it into your demo, your POC process. Make sure you have aha moments, oh shit moments that the customer yeah. will see and kind of like say, I have to have it or, oh my God, this team is so good because they just proved this to me. As many oh shit and ahas moment you bake into your experience, you will be winning because guess what? The big guys, they, they just sell because they're, they're big and it's safe to buy from them. They don't need to bake oh shit and, and oh my God moments into the product. So this is where we could be so much better. I think the um, thing that, uh, that I, I'd like to contribute from my experience is not just the, so we have a similar experience that we've tried to provide with the fast response, 
But one of the things that I think is also important is to have a clear no. Yeah. So, for example, a lot of our customers, when initially we showed them what we had, they wanted to pull the batteries out of the fire alarm. They said, can you unshow me this? And I said, no, you can't. This is why the product exists. It's, it's here to make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Understand that you need to do something. And sometimes the saying no, but in a very clear no, in a very timely way, not don't. We have a, a great customer that calls me up whenever he walks. He, he lives in Texas. He walks his dog. He calls me up and says, I have this great idea. And sometimes okay. the, the answer that I give him is, oh, my God, this is a great idea. And immediately we open tickets and da, 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 we try to execute. And sometimes I need to tell him that this is a double-decker couch for the, <laughs> you know, the, the, the Lego movie reference. Yeah. Sometimes I need to tell him that this is a double-decker couch. And the more honest you are in this conversation, the more likely it is that they'll come up with more and more ideas because sometimes they also want to know when their idea is not that good or that we've assessed this, we've tried this, and this is where it fails. Can you tell us how, how to make it not fail this way? But to your point, it's, it's the being the partner, is to say when things are good, when things are not good, and having that dialogue of how to make it better together. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. So one of our company values is earn the customer's trust. And it's been a company value literally since day one. What we yep. what we did when we first come, started the company was we came up with our values, wrote a couple of blog posts on it, but earn the customer's trust means to your point, well, to our discussion earlier, doing the things that you say you're going to do. So yep. delivering, being responsive, but also it earns trust when you say no and you give a good reason why. It's not about being like a, like a mean no, like terrible idea, but it's a no and here's why no. And, but, you know, we either see this on the roadmap or we don't think this is something that's aligned to our vision or whatever it is, but that, that builds trust. I think it's just all about that, that trust journey for a customer. So quickly, before we go into our game, what are your company values? I'll post, I'll, I'll post it in our notes later on, but it, it, I, I love to hear startup values because we also kind of found it to be a very valuable exercise to run. Yeah, totally. So our values are, well, my, I'll start with my favorite value, which is be the conductor. And so that was one that we felt like really embodied this sense of ownership being like a, like a, a radical owner, owning the outcome, owning your area, of the product, owning the customer deliverable, just be like, be the conductor. I want to build a team of builders and owners. And that's a, that's probably my most important, most essential value. The second one is earn customer's trust, which we, we talked a little bit about. The third one is passionate candor. And so that was really about, obviously we actually had value be kind and kind of that value, the spirit of it was yep. no assholes. Like we don't want jerks yep. in the company, but what we realized is Kindness can too often be construed as like niceness and not being honest. And there, and there's a, there's a piece there of like, we should be nice to, we should be kind to each other, but kindness doesn't mean not telling the truth, not having hard discussions, not yep. being a little bit more, more front footed on that regard. And then the last value is be deliberate. I think maybe it's my least favorite value. I'm not sure. I, I liked the, so in the, uh previous life in another startup we had the be honest but kind because we we tended to be more on the asshole side 
but we wanted to temper that with sometimes people are honest to be mean and we right. wanted to take meanness out of the honesty but honest first but don't be mean when you do this that's so right yeah i I like, i like the way that you got to it from the other side of be kind but still be honest it's a it's a really nice way to bridge and view this it's it's so, one of the Yeah, I was just say one of the tricky things we realize is when you're a startup, a lot of times you're a small team and you like each other. You're not big enough yet where like you don't know everybody and that kind of thing starts to happen. So you really like each other. And there's a, a nefarious thing that happens when you really like other people. It's like sometimes you can stop being super truthful with them. Like you yep. can stop being like, hey, I'm not getting that thing that I need from you to be successful over here. But at the end of the day, we're a team. I mean, we talk about ourselves as the crew, the C1 REW, like we're the, we're the crew. And a crew is about everybody pulling together, working together, being a team, but you got to be open and honest with what you need from other people. Thank, thank you. That's helpful. Now, producer Dave, to Let's our game. game. And now, Lital and Didi present Prove You're Not a Robot, three final authenticating questions for our guest. So, Alex... If you were a security a cybersecurity superhero, what would be your name? And more importantly, who would play you in the Hollywood movie to follow? Uh, I would be least privileged man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, where my, my superpower would be reducing people's overprivilege with a, the, the wave of a wand. And shrink I'd be them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just, just shrink, just shrink all your privileges down to size. <laughs> And, and I would be played by, let's say, Daniel Radcliffe from... Uh, okay. Like, it's, it's, like a very, it's a very Harry Potter-like vibe, I guess. Yes. Nice. That, that's the... Yeah. That's the, the magic. No, that's the, sli- the yeah. slip. That's my Slytherin. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> Shrinking people. Yes. So I think when we were trying to talk about new technologies that are coming up, everybody basically said AI. So we've decided to say, what... Is a good outcome and what is a bad outcome that will come out of this AI, this big AI thing in your mind? Yeah, so I mean, I, oh, so many thoughts um, on the good outcome side. I mean, there's going to be, there's going to be um, two people that make money from AI, as with like yep. most gold rushes. There's the people selling the pickaxes in the gold rush. And yep. then there's going to be the companies that kind of like transform their products with, with AI. And I, I think... In our particular case, we have very clear opportunities in the identity governance and access management and privilege access space to really rethink how some of these traditional problems were solved, but with like a much more AI-centric spin to it. So stay tuned on some really cool product announcements coming out here in the very, very near future. Looking but I, I'm, yeah, I'm super excited about that. And then I think, I think the bad thing is it's hard to imagine too much bad. I mean, I, I think the only thing that... I think ends up becoming a challenge from a security standpoint is, and I, I wrote a blog post about this, the impact that AI will have on things like phishing-based attacks at scale yeah. and sort of just, you just have to look at that and think about, well, how, how does an attacker apply this technology at scale to kind of change the game? And it's not a stretch to imagine automating pretty bespoke phishing attacks given the context from someone's LinkedIn profile to like text messages that don't aren't riddled with like grammatical errors and things <laughs> yeah. like that which yeah. is usually which is usually like the whiff of a phishing attack is like a misspace on a period or like a really weird signing off or something like that 
Yep. And I think what it does is it just, it makes some of these at scale attacks just more effective and more prolific, it particularly as like it gets baked into attacker tool chains and kind of off the shelf tools. So I think we just have to get smarter. I just yeah. saw this week, there was like, I don't know if it was a real attack or somebody tried to do it. There is already using of deep fake to take a video of your CEO so now those fake emails that you're getting all the time yeah. from the CEO telling. Yeah. So now it was like a video of the CEO telling you to put money in the bank account or yeah. whatever. So yeah, those things will get more sophisticated. They're already pretty sophisticated. All those typos are gone for sure. I so. think that what I read this morning is the worst thing that will come out of AI. Uh, IBM announced that they want to take all the banking code that's written in COBOL and transform it into Java. And right now, I think there's like 16 million disasters that I can think that can happen with Whoa. that with that idea. And it made a whole bunch of us rush and say, hey, how about we buy gold and, and dig it in, and we'll, bury it we'll in our, ba- in our backyard? We'll do just an episode about that. Yes. <laughs> and like the world of cobble and yes. how they get rid of it. Never. AI is probably not, not going to be the solution. <laughs> and last but not least is... What is the future of passwords in your mind? I'm sort of one of these, I I lived and breathed passwords and credentials for a really long time, having run the MFA built and managed an MFA product. I think passwords are just hard to get rid of. I think, don't get me wrong, I think it's easier for companies to roll out strong authenticators like YubiKeys or FIDO tokens and and enforce that in like different parts of the population. But what what people just don't appreciate is how hard the technology adoption curve is for things like that, where you've got a physical form factor or you need a laptop upgrade, like you've got hardware dependencies and things like that. You can't just like turn that on overnight. So I think it's a, I just think it's a hard problem. I think passwords are probably better or worse here to stay at least for, a while the thing the thing everyone the thing you got to remember about passwords is like there's a reason passwords are so prolific is because they're really easy to implement and they're extremely memorable <laughs> so yeah. like i said from like a technology standpoint they're easy from a consumer standpoint they're easy that's why they and we're already used around. to it so changing yeah. methodology is hard yeah it's hard it's just a it's technology adoption is hard that's just the reality yeah. Um, so I think, but I'm excited about the future of phishing proof, social engineering proof authenticators. I think that's the, that's the world. We use them entirely at Conductor. Cool. Alex, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for coming over to the show. Thanks for coming over. That was delightful yeah, and insightful. Thank you so much. Thank you for uh, having me. With that, this is the end of today's Didin Lital show. If you like the show, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcast. The Didi and Little Show is uh, a weekly podcast. See you again next week. Thank you. you so much. Bye. Bye.